Are you an adult with dyslexia? Are you longing for more in your life than the constant, relentless push and pull on your emotions that dyslexia can bring? What about those physical demands that require you to constantly shift gears, rethink? Can I do this? Well, my name is Hope, and I am your host. And I understand because I was diagnosed as an adult with dyslexia. And I often believed that I wasn't enough. Fear and shame were my constant companion. Until I met Christ, then everything changed. This podcast, Make Room for More, is devoted to encouraging and inspiring adults with dyslexia to make more room in their life for Christ. You will hear biblical truth that will uplift and challenge you to find a place for dyslexia in your life and let Christ take center stage of your life. Thank you for joining me. Last week we talked about the centurion who had a servant and his servant was unto death. He was dying and the servant um, was very near and dear to the centurion's heart. The centurion in this story can be found in Luke 7. The centurion had sent word to the elders and asked them to speak on his behalf that Jesus would come and heal his servant. And he started thinking about this person, Jesus, who he was. I imagine he started feeling, you know what, I'm not worthy of this person to even come to my house to heal my servant, and I'm not worthy to go to him. And so he sends word to Jesus and says, you don't have to come to my house. All you have to do is speak the word and my servant will be healed. And this is where we started talking about the authority in which this interior understood Christ held. And we talked last week about allowing ourselves to be put back under the authority of Christ and what that meant. Today, I want to visit a story in Acts. And it's in Acts 12. I often chuckle when I read this story. Now, James has been killed and they have arrested Peter. In verse 5 of 12, it says, Peter therefore was kept in prison and much prayer was going forth on his behalf. We don't know who these people are. They're obviously followers of Christ. They know Peter's in prison and they're praying on his behalf. Now, just to paint the scene where Peter is, he's in probably in some type of a dungeon, I would say, and deep in the dungeon. And there have been placed two guards, one on each side of him. They're chained to him. And I imagine Peter saying his prayers, giving himself to God. If this is my end, if I am to die as James did, and humble himself and surrender himself to the Lord to do whatever he needed to do with his life. And he goes to sleep. Now the Lord sends an angel and this angel awakens Peter and there is this bright light in the prison. Now the guards are still asleep and the angel smokes Peter on his side and tells him to arise and he says, arise quickly. And the chains fall off of his hands. Now, the angel tells Peter to gird himself, to put on his sandals, to put his garment around him and to follow him. And this is what Peter does. Now, Peter thinks he's probably in a vision, but he goes along with it. And by the time he comes to himself or realizes this is not a vision, he's actually outside of the prison and the angel disappears. Now, in verse 11, Peter says, Now I know for surety that the Lord has sent his angel. So Peter hurries to the house of Mary, the mother of John. 
Now keep in mind, Mary's son has been killed, James. This is John's brother. And they're in the house praying for Peter that he does not fall to the same fate. You know, he knocks on the door, Rhoda goes to the door, and she hears Peter's voice and she recognizes his voice. So she she's so excited. She doesn't answer the door. She doesn't let Peter in. She runs back to the people that are praying, this group of people who are praying for Peter. And, and she says, Peter's at the door. And, you know, in my imagination, I can hear them trying to hush her, you know, quiet, quiet. We're praying for Peter. He's in prison. And she says, no, he's not in prison. He's outside the door. No, no, Rhoda, he's not. Just calm down. And so they say to her, you're mad. Right there in verse 14, they tell us she's mad. But she's insistent. No, it's Peter. I'm telling you, it's Peter. I know his voice. And I think really to just appease her, they say in verse 15, it is his angel. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> so Peter continues knocking. And so they decide, well, let, let us go answer the door. And in verse 16, it says, but Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Now, why does this story tickle me? Well, number one, the word astonished and marvel in the Bible are the same. So this could have said, and they marveled. Why did they marvel that the power of God had been opened to Peter and allowed Peter to come out of prison? <laughs> why did they marvel? Well, you can still chuckle. Well, I guess it's not as funny when Jesus marveled at someone's faith, especially the centurion who was not a Jew. But here, these are people that believe in him, that follow him. Some of these people spent time with him. They knew him. They knew Jesus. And they saw many of his miracles. I don't know what they expected. There's another story that I'm going to briefly share with you. And it's the story of the disciples when they were in the boat with Jesus. Remember, you can find this in Matthew 8. And there comes a storm on the lake. They're battling the storm and Jesus is asleep in the boat. They remember Jesus is asleep in the boat and they cry out to him, you know, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? Well, I believe that Jesus went to sleep and was able to go to sleep because he trusted his care in, in his father. What awakened Jesus, I don't believe, was the storm. I believe what awakened Jesus was the cry of the disciples. Now, in verse 827, it says, but the men marveled saying, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Remember, Jesus stood up in the boat and he says, peace be still, and immediately the storm stopped. And then there is the man that was paralyzed and four of his friends took him to Jesus and there was such a crowd in the house that they tore up the roof and they lowered him down. And Jesus First, forgave him of his sins and then healed him. And what does the scripture say? It says, but when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. Yes, we too marvel. But the thing about it is we marvel at the wrong thing. I don't think it's wrong to be amazed at the power of God. I think it's, I think we marvel because we still grapple with the love of God. I don't think we should ever take Christ's power and what he does for us for granted, but I don't think the marveling that we 
should have towards what he does would be such that we find it very difficult to believe that maybe he's that powerful or maybe we marvel because of we know who we are we know our sinfulness we know our true condition before him and we marvel that he would even bother with us that he would even care to heal us or redeem us or restore us or pay our bills or you know heal relationships when we think about it we marvel sometimes i think for the wrong reasons and i think that is what gets in the way as an example you know we marvel that he he allows us to face financial ruin or we marvel when Jesus allows a loved one to suffer. We're astonished. We, we're angry. We are put off. And don't let that loved one die. You know, we marvel that Jesus encloses doors that we were intending to walk through, but he does it for our good. We marvel that Jesus doesn't acknowledge our attempt to play church, to create our own gospel, to do things our own way outside of his word. We're marvel that he intervenes in those situations where, where we are on the mindset, you know, I can do what I want to do. We marvel that Jesus will not settle for part relationship or halftime relationship. He wants it all. And we marvel that Jesus will not accept our um, concept of the gospel when the word of God makes it very clear that the gospel is the plan of salvation and he will not come back to the table to renegotiate it. He doesn't have to. It's a perfect plan how he intends to save us. You know, we keep Jesus marveling at our unbelief. And I would like to suggest that maybe it's time that we stopped. If he must marvel, let him marvel at our faith. Let him marvel at us at the centurion saying, Lord, you don't even have to come to my home. Just speak the word. Let him marvel that we're not put off by the trials and the, the troubles that, that come our way, that we actually expect them because the word of God is clear. Those who walk in the footsteps of Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know, we marvel, honestly, we marvel that our life is not better, or should I say, we are not treated better than Christ was. We marvel at that. Yet we, we say that we are followers of him. And why must we keep Jesus marveling? I guess it's the main question. You know, he is still marveling at our insistence to remain ignorant. We have this Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and he marvels that we find no comfort in it when we are in sorrow. I imagine he marvels we have this profound word called the Bible and the, the information and the promises that it holds that we don't hunger and thirst after his righteousness, that we don't drink daily from the well that never runs dry. He must marvel at this. You know, he, he must marvel at the fact that he came here and he died and how little that means to some people. It's almost like talking about the weather and how the fact that he came and died and the power that he has, how it does not resonate with us in such a way that our life is changed, daily changed. And I think he also marvels at how we take care of our bodies and or how we don't take care of our bodies, these, these temples that he said is his. And I think he marvels at our pretense to love one another and to 
how we withhold from him, how we step back from him, how we don't embrace him. I think that it is sad that Jesus doesn't marvel at our faith. If he's going to marvel at anything, let it be our faith, not our unbelief. So where does this leave us? This show is dedicated to adults that have dyslexia, and I would be remiss if I didn't bring it all together for those who have dyslexia. I have dyslexia, so of course this is a very near and dear thing to my heart. And I'm always trying to find ways to encourage us in the word. And those who have dyslexia, I don't know who the listening audience are and if you are a believer or not. I'm of the opinion that we are still on some level marveling that we have dyslexia. We haven't settled, what I should say, we haven't settled that being under Christ's authority doesn't mean that everything is going to go our way and everything is going to go smoothly, that he's not going to allow trials and disabilities and illnesses to come our way. If Christ is going to marvel, let him marvel at our response to it. I don't believe that our issue is dyslexia, but trusting the why to God. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking him why we have dyslexia. There's nothing wrong with that at all, but check your motives behind why you're asking. Because sometimes, a lot of times, if I was to ask you why you were doing something and if the answer you give me is not satisfactory, then I have an expectation that you're going to either come up with a better answer or you're going to stop what you're doing. If we're going to Jesus in that same vein, that if, if his answer is not satisfactory to us, why he allows us to have dyslexia, why he allowed the loneliness and the the isolation and the, you know, the bullying many of us received as someone that struggled to read and to learn in school and the learn hopelessness and the helplessness and the depression and all those things that comes with having a disability. If he cannot satisfactorily explain that to us, why he allowed us to suffer so, then our expectation may be that you need to remove it. But if we're going to him and asking him why, because we want to align ourselves with his purpose and plan. We want to better fit ourselves within the direction that he is taking us. If we want to walk in his steps and walk beside him and cooperate with him, yes, ask him why. And the answer may surprise you. It really may surprise you. And then you can put dyslexia in his place, finally, especially if it's not going to leave your life. You know, it, it may very well be the thorn that remains in the side, as with Paul. Paul, he made a decision when he had asked the Lord to remove his thorn in the flesh three times, and the Lord said no. Then he said, you know what, that I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of God will rest upon me. I would rather, and I've said this before, I would rather have dyslexia and the power of God rest upon me than not have dyslexia and not have that type of relationship with God. Because dyslexia, honestly, is not a death sentence. Yes, it has been hard and difficult and we have struggled, but it's not a death sentence. And the only limitations that dyslexia have is what we have placed on ourselves. Because remember, there still is God, who even Jesus says, without him, I can do nothing. With him, I can do all things. The thing is, we have to make a decision to align ourselves with his purpose. Now, if your purpose is to do something, I don't know, fly an airplane or become a pilot, and you believe dyslexia is holding you back from that, 
My suggestion is to find out what God wants. If God wants you to be a pilot and have dyslexia, there is absolutely nothing stopping you. But if you want to be a pilot and it's not in the will of God, herein lies the struggle. Aligning ourselves with the will of God and maybe even sacrificing that very thing that we want for what God wants for us. I think that is where we marvel at God sometimes because he doesn't give us what we want. He doesn't understand us. But when we make a decision to walk with him, you know, spend time, earnest time finding out what it is that he wants us to do, what is his purpose for us, then he will start marveling at our faith. He will start marveling at the fact that, yes, this person to have dyslexia, but that has not deterred them at all. There's a text of scripture in Isaiah that I believe when we turn to the Lord, when we daily give him our dyslexia and all of the emotional stuff that comes with it, Isaiah says, we too will arise out of our great disappointments. And the prophet goes on to say that uh, the light of the Lord will rest upon us. You know, we will develop the character of God when it says the glory of the Lord is risen upon us. Basically, that's saying that the character of God will shine to us and through us and other people will see it. They will say, yes, this person has dyslexia, but look at who they are. Look at what they are accomplishing for Christ. We are only limited by our own faith or lack thereof. We have dreams. The key is to make sure we're dreaming with God, not against God. And if he marvels once again, let it be said that he marvels at our great faith and that he can say, I have not found so great a faith as I have in this person that has dyslexia. You know, the centurion slave was either made free or remained a slave, but it didn't take away the fact that God did a marvelous work in him that day. I would like to believe that if he wasn't a Christian, that he became one and he spent the rest of his life worshiping and adoring the Lord, that he was healed. The man was at the point of death. And so are many of us in our spiritual and emotional walk with him. We're sometimes a walking dead. Let him breathe life back into us. Yes, ask for it and he will give it. I will close by saying, let your life shine in this dark world as a testament that Jesus is real. And whether he removes dyslexia from your life or not, make a decision. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because we're only limited if Jesus is marveling at our unbelief. You know, there is another scripture I wanted to read to you. It's found in Mark 6, 4 through 6. And Jesus here is, he's in his hometown and he makes this statement, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country. And he goes on to say that he could not do the mighty work he came to that very place to do. And that is to lay his hand upon people and heal them. The word of God says he was only able to do it with a few people, a few folks. The most they allowed him to do was to go to the villages and teach. But he wanted to do so much more. Here's the point. God wants to do a mighty work in each of us. Let it not be said because of our unbelief that he was not allowed to do it. Here, Jesus marvels because of their unbelief. And the only thing he could do was teach. 
Yes, I imagine that Bible study he gave that day was powerful, but how much of it reached the heart? Jesus wants to do, and I'm being redundant, but Jesus wants to do a mighty work in each of us. And I think it's time that we let him. Let's be and walk with the centurion and say to Jesus, I would love nothing more for you to come to my home, but you don't have to. Just send the word. I am your servant and I want to be healed. I'm going to close with this. And I know I said I was going to close early, but you know how closures are in Jeremiah. Nope, 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 nope. In Isaiah. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. This is Isaiah 55. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing wherewith I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I imagine the Lord. I, you know, honestly, when I read this, number one, he says, I have sent forth my word. And, you know, each morning, I think it would be uh, interesting for us to say to the Lord, what have you sent forth this morning in your word as it relates to me? Because you have promised whatever you have sent forth, it will not return to your void. It will accomplish that which you have sent it. And I really want to partner with you on what that is today. I don't want to work against it. I want to work with you. And the joy that we will have when we do this and the peace that we will have. He describes it as the mountains breaking forth in praise and singing. And the trees are clapping their hands because of our faith. One of the things I've learned about faith, and this is a place where we struggle, we think that our faith and our feelings much line up with each other. That is so far from the truth. Let me give you a little piece of advice. You can have faith even if your emotions are in a very different place. The enemy seeks to have us basing our faith on how we feel. And I'm telling you, do the opposite. Base your faith on who God is regardless of how you feel. You can have faith even if you don't feel faith. Faith is a cognitive decision, that frontal lobe decision. And oftentimes where we base our faith is in that limbic system, that amygdala system back there that's, that's bouncing our emotions all around. I'm telling you to stop allowing that part of your brain to shut down your frontal lobe, bring it back online and say, I don't feel it, but I believe it. I believe that God is who he says he is. I'm hurting, I'm upset, I'm stressed, but that has nothing to do with the fact that I believe what God has told me. I believe he's going to do what he's going to do. I believe that he is for me and not against me. I believe that he loves me with an everlasting love. Now, I don't feel it, but I believe it. And that is faith. Thank you for joining me once again. And I'm going to end here and say have a wonderful week. Bring yourself back under the authority of God. Daily give him the dyslexia. Know that he is a marvelous God. And once again, if he must marvel, let him marvel at your faith. Are you an adult with dyslexia? Are you longing for more in your life? 
than the constant, relentless push and pull on your emotions that dyslexia can bring? What about those physical demands that require you to constantly shift gears, rethink? Can I do this? Well, my name is Hope, and I am your host. And I understand because I was diagnosed as an adult with dyslexia, and I often believed that I wasn't enough. Fear and shame were my constant companion. Until I met Christ, then everything changed. This podcast, Make Room for More, is devoted to encouraging and inspiring adults with dyslexia to make more room in their life for Christ. You will hear biblical truth that will uplift and challenge you to find a place for dyslexia in your life and let Christ take center stage of your life. Thank you for joining.